Well, hello again. Welcome to the Neighborhood Church. We're following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood, and it is good to do it with our extended kingdom family. Hey, would you turn to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and the second half of that Bible in front of you? Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, we're going to look at what should be, for many of you, a very familiar passage. This is perhaps one of the most famous miracles that Jesus performed. So famous, in fact, that it has a distinction of being a miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, the stories of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But before we get there, let me be the first to tell you, summer is here. Were you aware of this? How many of you know what the first day of summer officially was? The 21st? How many of you said that's a bold-faced lie because here in Texas, summer sneaks up on you way before it gets there on the calendar? And don't let the clouds uh, fool you or that breeze fool you. It's a hair dryer blast of Texas heat that snuck up on us and summer's here. Yes? Is, am I the only person? Yes? Show of hands because y'all are already asleep. Show of hands again. If summer snuck up on you for this reason, okay, you ready? I was ready for a little bit of a breather and a little bit of a slower rhythm. But how many of you, by show of hands, have already in this past week or this past month, as summer has just begun, you already have just been running and gunning and you've had a moment when you just crash and collapse and you sigh, I need a vacation. Yes? Toby just got back from vacation and she raised her hand. So maybe you're like me and sometimes you just hit this part of your life where you just don't know how much more you have to give. Sometimes you just have so little in the tank, you don't know how much further you can go. And sometimes we need reminding that we need to give what we have so that God can multiply it in his hands and find that he invites us not just to a rhythm of work, but also to a rhythm of rest. Amen? Even the disciples needed a vacation. Do you believe this? I do, because we're about to read it here in just a moment. The disciples had been working and running and gunning and doing all the things for the kingdom that Jesus had empowered and sent them to do. And they come back and they need a breather. They collapse and they want to hit Netflix. And Jesus says, it's cool, come with me and let's rest. But we're about to see that summer vacation doesn't come. Instead of a lakeside retreat, they only get a nap on a boat ride. Show of hands for those of you who are in a place that not just say, I need a vacation, but you're desperate looking at your calendar and there's not one in sight. I've got my hand raised because we tried doing a spring break thing and it's June, and I'm regretting going in March and not now. So I need reminding, maybe you need reminding, of how much we can really give when we're on empty, and how much is enough for God to use 
when we're really at the end of our rope. You with me? We're going to see three observations or rhythms from this passage. I think the first is that Jesus' expectation of rest. Jesus' expectation of rest. Whether or not it comes does not matter. The expectation is there that we follow Jesus' rhythm of work and rest. Second observation I want to make in just a moment is Jesus' example of compassion. And then third, we're going to see in this famous miracle, Jesus' expansion of our offering. You with me? That's where we're going to be headed in the next few moments. But without further ado, would you join me in Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30, as we look to Jesus, our shepherd king. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But, isn't there always a but? But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. Then they said to them, to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and then give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. They must have got some extra credit. And Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then something curious happens between verses 41 and right before verse 42. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Then he also divided up the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, and the number of men who had eaten was five thousand. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Of course, if you've been in Sunday school, you might have heard that 5,000 is really on the low end. They just counted the men. Maybe because the men are the ones that go back to the buffet four times at Golden Corral and Furs instead of twice, like a normal person. Or you could be like me and go six. But I think there's something wonderful about the abundance that we have in the kingdom of God, even when we are running low and on empty. 
And as we look at Jesus' expectation of rest, we have to remember where we are in the story. Those disciples were in desperate need of a vacation. Why? If you have your Bible open, you can look at the beginning of chapter 6, in which you see Jesus empower them and send them to go and do what? The kind of work that Jesus does. What's the kind of work that Jesus does? I think it all boils down, Mark just said it, I think it all boils down to really two things. Declaring the kingdom reign of God in their midst, teaching, preaching, however you want to call it. But then also, what else? Healing, what else? We already said teaching, what else? Healing, poor Jesus. He was just a healer and a teacher. He was also kicking out demons and evil spirits. He was challenging oppressive systems that they were working. He fed, he healed, he kicked out the evil systems that were enslaving people. He's liberating, he's proclaiming sight for the blind and all of these wonderful things. Really put two ways, it's this. He's declaring the reign of God and then demonstrating what it looks like. But here's the wild thing. He says, hey guys, you've been following me, you've been learning from me, now I'm going to give you some power to go and do what I do. And so he sends them out to do these kinds of things. They get really fired up because they see that this kingdom of God that he says is not just for Jesus, it's for all those who say yes to Jesus, who follow Jesus, it overflows into their life and they can bring the kingdom of God too. So they come back and say, Jesus, we did what you've done. We saw healings and we saw demons that were subjected to your name. Not ours, but yours. We were teaching and telling them about the kingdom of God and people were actually listening to us. They were turning from their way to get on board with our way and they were freaking out. And I can just imagine Jesus saying, yes, this is what I was hoping for. This is what this whole enterprise is about that you would be with me to learn from me how to live like me because I won't be here in the flesh for much longer. So they're telling Jesus all of these things that have taken place. And Jesus is smiling and listening and nodding, I'm imagining. But Jesus is also looking around and finding all of these people he was gathered with. All these people who had needs and desires, and needed something. And we see in Mark's text at the beginning of our passage this evening that there was so much frenetic coming and going that the disciples could not even get a number two with cheese and a Coke. They had no chance and no time to even eat. So after they have followed Jesus in the way he works, they're about to follow Jesus in the way he rests. What I need you to understand, and if you've been around the neighborhood church any length of time, this should come as no surprise to you, but I need reminding in a summer like we are living. The expectation for followers of Jesus is to follow Jesus' rhythm of work and rest. Okay? What this looks like, if you read the Gospel of Luke, you cannot get one page without seeing that Jesus regularly withdrew to lonely places to what? Rest. Pray, be in his Father's presence. Hear this, recharge and reset. This is amazing, and we see this illustrated because in our culture, the prime characteristic of an important person is what? I would say busyness. 
How many times this week have you gone up to somebody and said, how have you been? And they say, busy. This is a cultural value. But the kingdom value is the kind of rest that fills you up so that you can have enough for the next step. We see this even, and I've said this story before, and I'll say it again because Amy is not here. She's being Paul in preschool. We see this even played out amongst Christians. We've developed a really great relationship with a family in our neighborhood. And at this season in their life, not so long ago, they were working two different shifts. They had three kids and a grown one in their house. And they were working long and working hard. And they were just at their wit's end. And so she's talking to Amy about this. And Amy says, you need a break. And she goes, yeah, but how? And so what ended up happening is Amy said, well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Next week, I'm using my Arboretum membership, and I'm going to just sit. I'm going to find a garden, and I'm going to sit. And I'm going to put my phone down, and I'm going to sit. And she's going, awesome. Yes, that, please. And then Amy took a step to introduce Jesus into the conversation. And she said, you know what's crazy? I've learned that even Jesus needed to rest. Even Jesus, before the Father, in his ministry on earth, needed to hear the voice of the one that called him beloved so long ago, before he went out into the wilderness to hear all the other kind of voices. Even Jesus needs to withdraw once in a while. And she says, whoa, wait a minute. Because she had grown up going to Sunday school and you read the Gospels and what you see is the kinds of things like the feeding of the 5,000, the healing, all these things that we just mentioned. But I still think even in Christian circles, it is something that is lesser to engage in kingdom rest than it is to do kingdom work. We spoke about this passage in a leader meeting. I was able to teach on this passage in a meeting of pastors for the Dallas Association, and I conveyed to these pastors, what on earth could I tell these guys that have been at it for so much longer in so many different contexts? I told them, please, please, please do me and my generation a favor. Please, please, please do you and your kids a favor by encouraging them to disengage. You cannot be on 100% of the time. You cannot multitask as well as you thought. And here's the litmus test for what healthy disengagement looks like versus unhealthy disengagement. Healthy disengagement looks like I'm refreshed, re-energized, reset for the next right step. Some of you, that's a five-minute pause in between emails to catch your breath. Some of you, that's a five-hour break once a month or once a year on retreat to go out, to walk, to do what Jesus did. Whatever it looks like for you in five minutes, five hours, or five days, what does it look like for you in this season to follow Jesus' work of rhythm of work and rest? In our church, one of our core practices is to create space because you don't find the time, you've got to make the time. And Jesus and his disciples were in a situation where they had to make the time, so they got in a boat and they ventured to the other side of the lake because the expectation is that there is a time in your life and even if it's the five minutes on the way into work that you could just unplug, disengage, and be still. And that looks a lot different from numbing out and Netflixing and chilling. However it looks for you, what are the ways this summer, when you're at the end of your rope, you're at the end of your tank, you have nothing else to give, how might you receive from him in those quiet and tender moments? 
Jesus has an expectation that we rest. But you know what really stinks? You're saying, Adam, you didn't read that parentheses part on them slides. And you're right. Because the expectation doesn't always line up with reality, does it? I love, I love, I love that the Son of God has things that don't go according to plan. Because I believe the Son of God was also man. And I love that his best laid plans to get in that boat and the disciples, Thomas is like, I've got this beach and a Corona with a lime and it's gonna be awesome and we're gonna be rocking and rolling. You gonna grill that fish, Peter? You've been doing it so long. You're a fisherman. You know how to do it. You do it the way I like it. And they're just like living on cloud nine. They're ready to rock and roll. And then what happens? It dawns on them that they see, isn't that Tom? Isn't that Tom from Nazareth? Dadgummit. That's Stephen from Capernaum. That dude is hustling. He's going to that dock, dadgummit. I knew it. The second I put down my deposit, I'm going to lose that thing. I'm not going to get to that cabana. That corona's good as gone. We can say that as a non-denominational church, mind you. <laughs> so here's where the second rhythm is so important. Because when we don't work and rest like Jesus, we begin to not act and love and live like Jesus. And even if all you get is a nap in the car instead of a lake house retreat, what is it that you will make enough time for so that he can do the work within you and on you so that you can begin to love and be compassionate like Jesus? Because we're about to look at how Jesus reacts to this crowd that has followed him around the, the lake but I'm going to tell you how I would have reacted to the crowd that has run around the lake, which is why we need to look at Jesus' example of compassion. Because what I'm meeting with my distraction and my crowd and my whatever it is that is encroaching upon your life, when your expectation does not meet that reality, I'm meeting it with exasperation and frustration and fill in the Asians because I'm losing it. I needed this, God. I tried, I created space, I scheduled this out. I'm doing the thing the pastors say and our group leaders say and I'm doing the stillness thing in neighborhood group. I'm even trying these Lectio Divina things. I even am one of the three people in the world that downloaded those prayer guides from the neighborhood church, excuse me, tncgarland.com. But here, my phone is ringing. My mind is racing. What am I after? And what happens is I would meet them with exasperation, but Jesus meets them with compassion. Literally, Mark says his guts were torn apart. And I would love to do a study on all four of the Gospels at how many times they make a note of Jesus being moved with compassion. How many times do you think Jesus sees in such a way that looks beyond all the frustrations of our schedule, our time, our expectation, and he sees to them, not me. How many times do I see them as the enemy of my time, my desires, my wish, my schedule, my expectation, when I think Jesus sees, look at her 
and his need and the desperation and the thinly veiled ways in which they are going to come apart even though they're just trying to keep it together. Look how they had to take such a drastic step to even admit that there's a need to come talk to me. How dare I shut them down? Sometimes you just got to answer. And this is where I think it's worth noting. Jesus, who is full of compassion, is also full of wisdom and discernment. And I think some of us need to hear this. There are also times, and you'll say, Pastor Adam, uh, 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 let me tell you. One time they said, hey, we got all these people need healing. We got all these things need teaching. And Jesus says, I can't, for to this I was sent, to go and preach the good news to the other towns also. Sometimes Jesus says no. Yes, and sometimes you ought to say no. And sometimes you need to say yes. Jesus, I believe, is able to discern because he has spent time with his Father. He's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we see elsewhere in the Gospels in which he is led to do or not do because he is so in tune with what the Father wants him to say or not say or do and not do. There is discernment, and how do we get there? By listening and being with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. His example of compassion is incredible. And note this, before he even does an amazing thing, the how matters. Y'all heard me say that? You've heard it said? I didn't make it up. It's not just what Jesus does, it's how he does it. And I love this, and we've got to get here before he feeds 5,000. Y'all done heard about that. I'm telling you about the first part. We know about Jesus' remarkable acts of kingdom power, but don't miss his remarkable attitude of kingdom love. Every action, and I defy you to find another action, Every action and every word and everything that Jesus does and says, I believe and I will stake my faith on this, is an enactment of God's overflowing love. How can I say that? How is that such a big deal? Because John had one word to describe God in his letter in 1 John, and he says God is love in his judgment he is loving in his compassion he is loving in his healing he is loving in his leading he is loving even in his wrath and anger and outpouring onto all that is decimating his good world he is loving because he wants what's best God is love and Jesus is the image of the invisible God he is the exact representation and radiance of his glory and being we have seen in Jesus God, and we have seen him as one who is full of grace and truth, and everything he did is an extension of Father and Spirit revealed to us in Son. And that is why I am confident that we get so off base when we go and do without looking to who he is. We get so off base when we go and do before we ever stop to say, God, who are you calling me to be? We can go and clothe this city with all of our stuff. Every week we go to the rock, we find baskets and and trash bags and boxes 
filled with clothes. We can clothe 120 students like we have the last several years with new uniforms for their confidence on square one. We can go feed in September hundreds of people and tell them the story of this Jesus that we know and invite them into it. But if we have not love, we are wasting our time. Shut it down. I'm working at Starbucks and you can go find a church that is being like Jesus because if we have not love, we are not a church. And how many Christians are blowing it? How many of our neighbors love is the last thing on their list? We need to see Jesus' example of compassion. How might we even grow in compassion? I love this because Herod was the king of Israel in Jesus' day. Follow me. Jesus is in the wilderness, and Mark tells us he was moved because he saw a people that were like what? Sheep without a what? Shepherd. Mark said leader. He wants the gold stars tonight, and he's getting them. Where is the real king of Israel? Herod, if you're following along the interlude in between Jesus sending the 12 and then feeding the 5,000, Herod is in the palace, sequestered, drunk, ordering hits and trying to look good and amazing and win the favor of women and other people. And the king of Israel, God's king, is looking to these people with compassion and he teaches them when they need guidance and he feeds them when they're in need. And the degree to which any leader that comes in the name of Jesus is not looking like Jesus and meeting needs and teaching the values of the kingdom, I think they look more like Herod and less like Jesus. So beware in November or the midterms, when they come to you, they more often are wolves in sheep's clothing and they want the sheep, but the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and we will listen to him and follow him. Because Mark is tapping us on the shoulder and saying, this is what a king looks like. And it's powerful because in Mark's gospel, we're starting to get this picture of Jesus that is constantly surrounded by the poor. Can I tell you this? Who is Jesus hanging out with? You know what kind of keeps me up at night for some seasons? If Jesus were enfleshed and walking the streets of Garland or Dallas, where is he? Who is he with? I believe that where there is need, there is Jesus, and we might need to go looking for him. We might to, to need to listen to the people we meet when Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. How might we grow in this kind of compassion? It's not just being still with Jesus. I think there's also an outward look and praying for those, embracing those before we encounter them. 
It's hard to love the homeless if you've not trained yourself to pray for, to envision, to imagine, to see them with a kingdom lens as an Uh, as someone who's beloved by God and made in his image. You start in prayer with God, with these people. And I think, too, just straight up, it's hard to love the poor if you ain't never met them. It's hard for me to love the poor in my coffee shops and in my house and when I insulate myself. Can I tell you I insulate myself from the poor? It's a lot easier for me to have an auto draft for my compassion kid in Burkina Faso than it is to love the person that's right here on the street. Would you forgive me? Would you help me? Would you walk with me as we try to be where the need is and there maybe find Jesus? Because I think what happens when we're praying and we're next to them is we get this perspective that sees not just their encroachment on my life and my time, but we see their real story, their real need. And we begin to see, oh, it's not just like they sit on Facebook and CNN and Fox News. These are real people who are having real needs, who are really loved by God and longed for by him. We see Jesus' example. But... We only have so little. The disciples only had so little. They saw them as their problem. And they said, Jesus, it's time, dude. I'm looking at my watch. Domino's is going to stop delivering by this point. I tried Uber Eats. And he's going to take like four hours because, man, they still haven't figured it out. There's not even cars invented yet. I'm making sure you're paying attention to me. It's hot in here. Thank you, Mark. Man, you're... What a gold star. Somebody get some stars. They say, get them out of here and let them work on it themselves. And here's what's so hilarious. Jesus knows how little they have, and he's going to expand their offering. He's going to take their little, and he's going to make it enough. But y'all listen to this. This is so hilarious to me. I already told you, remember, they had no time to eat. Jesus didn't feed them before he put them on the boat. That's parenting 101. If you're taking your kids anywhere, bring goldfish. They're angry. They're hangry. They're saying, get them out of here. Jesus didn't feed them, but listen to this. If you look at the beginning of Mark chapter 6 when he sends them, you know how he sends them? He says, hey, guys, don't bring any bread. So this dude says, don't bring any bread. They're going running around eating scraps from whoever can give it. Comes back is telling Jesus everything that's going on. Then Jesus says, all right, everybody, let's sit down. And he's teaching them. He's shepherding them. He's guiding them. And before he ever feeds them, he says, hey, guys, you give them something to eat. And I guarantee you, Thomas goes, uh, thanks a lot, Jesus. You told me not to pack a lunch. I love this interaction. The disciples see too much need and too few resources, and they're saying to Jesus, what do you expect us to do? Am I supposed to use my money for them? Am I supposed to give up everything I've had, everything I've saved, everything I want to, I have designs on and plans to, I've got to build a house, I've got to buy the car, I've got to do this. You expect me to use my money for them. They say, what do you expect us to do? And then Jesus says, what do you have to give? That's the distinction of the kingdom dream and the American dream. America says, how much can you get? And the kingdom says, how much are you called to give? 
He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. They go around, and they don't want to spend their money. They're going to go get everybody else's lunch. They say, we got five loaves and two fish. Have fun, Jesus. That's in a different translation. I love this because I think what's happening and baked into this is Jesus knows they're finally dawning on this point that says, I am empty, I'm done, I don't have anything, I left it all out on the field, I gave and I worked and I hustled and I did all the kingdom thing, you told me to come rest, I've got nothing, I've got nothing, I've got nothing, which is the perfect opportunity to turn to Jesus and say, give me something to give. Lord, I come with open hands because they're empty. I come to receive so that I might give something because I don't have it on my own. I know there are stories of you who in this church have been at your wit's end, who don't know the words to pray, who don't know the way forward with cancer, with death, with illness, with financial burdens, and you say, finally, I have nothing, Jesus. And if you go to him and trust, you find that suddenly you have have everything you need. I love that he teaches us to pray for our daily bread. Don't miss that they're in the wilderness. And they come from a line of people who were taught to wait for daily bread from the heavens. But it's hard to pray for daily bread when we've got a stockpile of it in our Chase bank account. But perhaps in solidarity, he's inviting them to see you give them something. How much do you have? And how much is enough, really? How much is enough? It's whatever we have to give for God to use. I don't know where the food is going to come from, the money's going to come from to feed our neighbors at the neighborhood table. I don't know where the people are going to come from that are going to give their life to him. But he's invited us to give a little bit of our resources and a little bit of our time and a lot a bit of our love and to watch him multiply in his hands the things that we could not do for ourselves. With a lot of uncertainty and just enough trust for the next step, I've been ragging on the disciples, but as we wind down to a close, I need to tell you this. When Jesus asks them to bring the loaves and bring the fish, what do they do? They bring it to him. Do you think they knew what was going to happen next? When Jesus asks you for this gift, time, money, stuff, do you know what the next step is going to bring? He's asking you for this step. Step two and three and four will be met with his grace when you're there. The disciples with a lot of uncertainty and just enough trust follow him each next step. Then he does this Eucharistic act of blessing and breaking. And then you know what he does? He gives back to the disciples. Not so they could hoard and eat but so that they could turn around and give away. Jesus multiplied what they offered and he gave it back so they could give it away. Because what you have isn't always just for you. Some of the early church fathers, paraphrased by Catholic worker Dorothy Day of this last century, would say it this way. 
If you have two coats, one belongs to the poor. I looked in my closet. I have four backpacks because Amy just bought me a new one. I have three that belong in our calling. Because he's still working on me to reevaluate how much is enough for me and how much I have to give and offer so that it may be multiplied in his hands. So if Jesus came to us today and he looks at us and he says, you give them something, what's he inviting you to offer? And what I've been wrestling and didn't want to type is this. What are my excuses? I see too much need and I see too little resources. I see too many people that need love, that need a kingdom family, that need stuff, and I see too little in my tank. Could we trust him enough to rest with him, to learn from him his compassion, and to give just enough in trust that he could expand what we have and do what we can't do for ourselves? Would we be a people that trust just enough in this next step because of the joy of trusting that our Father will catch us and multiply what we give to him in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time to be God's people together, to conspire in ways to participate with the work of your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we confess that our families and our neighborhoods and our city looks a lot more like earth than heaven. So we're asking that you would give us this day our daily bread, that we would take just enough for us, and that we would give what is not ours to begin with. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work on our heads and our hearts in those ways that we need to confess we've been holding back. Holy Spirit, would you work on our heads and our hearts in the ways in which we just are so broke down and we're in need. And what you're asking of us is too much. It's too great for this season. Lord, would we like a little child on the ledge of a pool, wondering if it's worth jumping into the arms of her father, would we take that one step into your arms to find that you catch us, you hold us, you send us in a power that is not of our own. Will we come to you to receive from you so that we can give back to the world? In the strong name of Jesus, our shepherd king, amen, amen. I would love for everybody to stand and receive the benediction. Good shepherd, teach us to follow you to care for all that are close to us, to protect those who are threatened, to welcome those who are rejected, to forgive those who are burdened by guilt, to heal those who are broken and sick, to share with those who have little or nothing, to take the time to really know one another and love as you have loved us. Good shepherd, teach us to follow you, to spread compassion to those who are far away to speak for those who are voiceless, to defend those who are oppressed and abused, to work for justice for those who are exploited, to make peace for those who suffer violence, to take the time to recognize our connectedness and to love as you have loved us. Go in peace.